This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Ballcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got Benjamin Wolf with us on this Tuesday morning. Sending some well wishes, Kip Adams. Hope he's feeling better. I'm sure he'll be back with us next week. Uh, getting ready for the traditional February National Signing Day. And we figured to do that, we would answer some questions both about recruiting and the 2024 Georgia Bulldogs. We'll get to some of those questions in a little bit. But uh, I want to start here, Ben. You know, we've kind of gotten to the point with the February National Signing Day where it, it's not the hoopla, you know, that you and I grew up with. It's not, you know, that's sort of. Uh, been displaced by what we see in December. Uh, just for you, uh, what is this time of uh, the year like? You know, we're getting ready for what we used to kind of count down to. Um, and National Signing Day in February is not quite what we're used to seeing. It's not. It's definitely not the same. I mean, obviously, Georgia has some potential intrigue that we'll talk about there tomorrow. But I'm, you know, I'm approaching it similarly to how Georgia's coaching staff is approaching it at this point, and that is we've more or less turned our attention to the 2025 class. And I know that we'll talk a lot about the junior day that they're coming off of as well. Um, but yeah, it's just a different time of year. The timeline has shifted to the point that, I mean, some position groups. I mean, I'm, I'm writing this series this week over at dogs 24 seven names to know for the 2025 class. And one of them I'm putting out today is the tight end position. And Todd Hartley already has two commitments in the 2025 class. So not only is he not really focused on the 24 class and not as he, you know, more or less done with the 2025 class, he's also already looking ahead to the 2026 class. So the timeline shifting has adjusted things and the efficiency with which Georgia recruits, I would say, has also adjusted things, too, because they do have a tendency to be looking ahead. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird time of year because there's still some 2024 recruitments or really a 2024 recruitment to keep an eye on. And then everything else has really shifted to the future. Well, let's kind of jump right in on that. And uh, we had a question from Robert about Terry Bussey. As you mentioned, he's really the one guy we're watching for. Uh, for Georgia when it comes to Wednesday and the uh, traditional signing day. Five-star athlete. I sort of misspoke on the last episode and called him a former Texas A&M commit. He's still committed to the Aggies, yep. but he's looked around since they made the head coaching change. Jimbo Fisher out, Mike Elko in. 
you've written about this in the last few days a good bit, Ben, but what's your read on the Terry Bussey situation? As we speak on Tuesday, we understand that uh, you know things can change a lot in a hurry, uh, but what's your read on where Georgia is with Terry Bussey? Well, to your point, he's still committed to Texas A&M, and the fact that Texas A&M kind of got the last – shot at it with him going to an official uh, an official visit to college station this past weekend from poking around on the a&m side i think that there's a reserved confidence in college station that they're going to be able to hold on to him i think that that's the program that he wanted to go to all along i think that mike elko and his staff have done a really good job of working all of the angles to retain him i think for a majority of the process the team that looked like the biggest threat to texas a&m was LSU. LSU was a school that I think he was probably close to flipping to at some points, but they had an entire defensive staff overhaul as well. And he's had to rebuild that relationship with Corey Raymond, which more or less did not exist prior to Raymond going from Florida to LSU. And so that put Georgia in the unique position in this recruitment where Georgia's not a program that Terry Bussey was considering. It wasn't a guy that I had written about really at all throughout the cycle until he said at the beginning of January that he was going to take an official visit to Georgia. And really the reason for taking that official visit to Georgia, as we've talked about before, is his relationship with Dante Williams. I was told earlier this week that they th- that people thought that if Dante Williams had still been at SC, that Terry Bussey would have taken his official visit to Southern Cal this, you know, during this window instead. So those two are really, really close. And They went on their in-home visit, Georgia did, with Kirby Smart and Dante Williams and other members of the defensive staff. They were on an in-home visit with Terry Bussey last Thursday. So that was squeezed right in between the LSU visit that he took midweek and the Texas A&M visit that he took on the weekend. And Georgia got a chance to kind of make their last pitch, not their last pitch because they're still working angles all the way up to signing day, but their last in-person pitch to Terry Bussey. And I think the big takeaway from Georgia coming out of that visit was it's hard to tell. He keeps things pretty close. He keeps things pretty quiet, but it's hard to tell because he really has this strong relationship with Dante Williams. And it's weird because he knows Georgia the least out of all the programs he's considering, but he knows Georgia's defensive backs coach Dante Williams the best. And I think it's this dilemma for Terry Bussey. I think it's this conundrum for Georgia in terms of understanding where they fit into all of this. My read going into signing day, however, is that Georgia is playing from behind both Texas A&M and LSU. Now, to your point, Jordan, that's subject to change. We've got 24 hours until National Signing Day, and we know crazier things have happened in the final hours than Terry Bussey, who took an official visit in the last week, you know, making a decision to come to Georgia. So there are crazier things have happened. But as of right now, I really think I lean toward AM holding on to Terry Bussey. I think that Elko and his staff have done a great job. If he doesn't stick with AM, I don't necessarily know that I favor LSU over Georgia right now. I really think that that relationship with Corey Raymond or with Dante Williams rather is really making Terry Bussey think. I just think that he didn't really know Glenn Schumann until the last month. He really didn't know Kirby Smart until the last month. And I think even though that's the case at Texas A&M as well, especially with their entire staff, that's a program that he really wanted to sign with in December until there was the entire overhaul of Jimbo Fisher's staff. So it's something to keep an eye on. We'll have everything that we can at Dogs 24-7. I'll say it's been relatively quiet coming out of Georgia's end over the last 24 hours or so, and I think part of that is them pr- trying to get a grasp of 
How did, you know, what was the response coming out of the Texas A&M visit? How does Georgia answer? You know, again, those are all conversations that are going to be happening throughout the course of the day today. We'll have you guys covered on what is happening uh, on that front as we get ready for uh, the signing period and the National Signing Day on Wednesday. I did want to say, too, as we're going through this for everyone watching, um, this is a mailbag episode. So if you're watching and you have questions about Georgia's 2024 signing class, recruiting beyond 2024, uh, the team going through winter workouts and uh, keeping the countdown to spring practice, hit us up in the comments and we'll get to those. We've pulled several uh, from the message board over on the junkyard, uh, but we want to make sure folks who are watching live, if they have questions, they can throw them in too. Uh, Ben, before we get to those questions, I want to make sure that we also talked about another big visit weekend for Georgia had several recruits on hand. Got to see some of those guys in Stegman Coliseum during that Georgia-South Carolina game. I think most notably Julian Lewis, guy that Georgia's pushing really, really hard for. Uh, what can you tell us, what did you learn out of this past weekend, the guys that Georgia had on campus and uh, maybe the impressions they got from their chance to visit? Absolutely. So the the main takeaway – for most folks that follow recruiting is going to be around Julian Lewis. And I think that that's warranted the Georgia quarterback position in the 2025 class is still figuring itself out. And I really think February is going to be used in Buttsmere to have those difficult conversations. Who do we prioritize? How do we communicate what our plan is at the quarterback position for the rest of this cycle? And, you know, Julian Lewis getting him on campus for the last official or the last visit weekend of the contact period for that last February 3rd junior day was really big for Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo and Montgomery Van Gorder to be able to sit down, have those conversations with the family, figure out where their head's at, but also just talk ball. I mean, I think sit down and watch some film, have some conversations around what the pro style offense at Georgia is like, what the motivations are behind why Georgia does the way that things, the way they do offensively. And I think it really resonated with Julian Lewis. You know, he got a chance to sit down with Kirby Smart uh, during the basketball game down in the Kirby Smart premium seats. And uh, I think that's always a pretty telling indicator who got to spend time with Kirby Smart during the basketball game. That's not the only time you get to spend time with Kirby Smart. Everyone had opportunities to do one-on-ones back at his office when they went back to the facilities. But, you know, Julian Lewis was really the first guy that got a chance. Him and his dad got a chance to sit down there with Kirby Smart and, you know, chop it up during the course of that game. I think that matters a lot. He certainly was not the only player that got a chance to sit down there with Kirby Smart. And I think taking a look at those guys and you know who they were that had that chance to do so probably gives you an idea of who Georgia is prioritizing. And so Nick Brooks is an offensive lineman from previously from Buford High School, but he's moved back to Iowa and has recently decommitted from Iowa. Nick Brooks, legitimate six foot eight offensive lineman, big, big guy. Um, Georgia's liked him for a really, really long time. And I think anytime you get someone out of state like that down on a visit, if you can prioritize them with some head coach time, you're always going to do that. The same could be said for running back, a name that I know everybody's going to love, Bo Jackson. Georgia's already got Bo Walker in the class. The possibility of a Bo Jackson, Bo Walker class feels too good to be true. But he was down from Ohio on his first visit to Georgia. He just got offered at the beginning of January. And so for Georgia to get him down on a visit so quickly, I think, is a really good indicator for Georgia, though they're definitely going to have to battle it out with all the top programs for Bo Jackson because he is a bona fide top tier wide or, uh, running back in this class. And then 
Georgia was also already looking ahead to the 2026 class, which is, you know, sort of to our point earlier, how much look ahead Georgia does in recruiting to get ahead of the game. Xavier Griffin was a defensive end from Gainesville High School in Georgia in Georgia that just got offered earlier this month. Georgia went out to see one of his basketball games. I mean, he you just look at the guy and he is freak. He looks like a freakish talent. Um, the fact that he was getting time with Kirby Smart during the game, I think, says a lot about how important Georgia thinks he would be to the next class. Now, let me be clear, just because you weren't one of the guys sitting down there with Kirby Smart during the basketball game doesn't mean that you weren't being prioritized and things weren't really important for you during the course of the visit. One name that had to leave before the basketball game hit that I think is someone that if we take anybody out of the weekend as someone that we should really rise to the top of people that we want to start paying attention to, it is Ed Rusher, and I'm going to try my best not to butcher his name, Darren Akinabog, Akinabon. Uh, he's from New Jersey. You can obviously feel the Fran Brown influence remaining even in his departure. But Jadero Uzo Daribe is doing a really, really good job here. I think that rankings aside, and that's not to discredit the rankings because I know that our scouting team is going to do an unbelievable job with that. But it's very early in the process. And I think that Darren Akinobon is one of those players that you're going to see skyrocket by the time the year is over. I mean, he measured in at Georgia about an inch and a half and 30 pounds heavier than he's listed on our site right now. So that gives you an idea of where his frame and where his body's at. Explosive, explosive athlete, really good basketball player. He can stop the run. He's really good off of the edge. I mean, I think that he's someone that Georgia has risen at or near the top of their board at that position group, which I think is notable because there are definitely edge rushers that are ranked ahead of him that Georgia has even had on campus over the last few weeks that they probably would, you know, have Darren in higher regard than. And so I think it's always interesting this time of year to see who Georgia is sort of putting towards the head of the class. And I think that Darren Kennebon, man, I'm going to get it right. Eventually Darren Kennebon, uh, I think is probably the guy that you look at at that position, a really, really important one that Georgia really likes early though. Again, the, the messaging I've been getting, um, on that recruitment too is it is very very early and that there are teams like Ohio State that are going to likely come in here at some point and make this a lot more competitive of a recruitment long way to go for sure for all those guys and hey I want to throw this out here too whether or not Bo Jackson comes to Georgia really need Nike to come through with some Bo Nose commercials I mean there's so much potential with a guy named Bo Jackson yep amen before we take a break, I want to make sure we talk about some of the guys that were down in Mobile. It was a very produ productive week for the Georgia Bulldogs down there. Six guys participated in the practices, and it seemed like really several of those guys made the most of the opportunity. Lab McConkey was named the top receiver uh, for his American team. Uh, that was chosen by the defensive backs, and Javon Bullard gets the nod as the top safety from the running backs and receivers. Then you go into the game, Taki Smith winds up being the American team MVP with three pass breakups. Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint had a touchdown catch. A lad had a catch, I believe it was later in the game. So, Ben, what did you make of how these guys uh, handled their opportunity in the Senior Bowl? And does anyone thing really stand out to you from what we saw over the week and some of the conversations that came out of those practices in the game? Well, to me, it – you can look at individual performances and I think all the individual performances are, are impressive. And I could look at lads, you know, weak MVP is the receiver Javon at safety or Tyke is the game MVP. But 
really to me it's more about the fact that we hear all about georgia practices and bloody tuesdays and the type of work that it requires to be successful at georgia and then all of a sudden you get georgia guys in this de facto practice setting i realize the senior bowl is a game but i would equate the entire senior bowl week to a week of practice with a scrimmage at the end which georgia does on a pretty regular basis and i just find it interesting that you hear about the the legends of Georgia practices, and then all of a sudden you see Georgia players in a week of practice setting with all these other programs, and the Georgia players rise to the top. And that shouldn't surprise you. Georgia won, you know, two of the last three national championships. I think that everybody would consider Kirby Smart to be the best coach in college football, Georgia to be the best program in college football right now. But still, to to physically see the work in action, I think says. To me, my big takeaway had more to do with the Georgia football program than any of the individual players. Now, don't get me wrong. Lad McConkie, I mean, I could watch him run routes forever. I mean, Javon Bullard, I don't know that anybody loves the grind more than Javon Bullard does. And you even saw it like him. And I mean, it's, it's a simple gesture thinking that the head of the senior bowl about it all. But the fact that you got a chance to go practice for a week and like your big takeaway is that you just got to work and play ball. Like, I think it says a lot about Javon Bullard. And then I would say the surprise, I guess, if you could say there was a surprise for me. I mean, Tyke Smith coming away as the as the game MVP for the American team or defensive MVP of the American team. Um you know, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted that, especially when you've got a guy like Javon also in the game and you might favor him in terms of Georgia defensive backs that are playing in the game. But it's just a testament to the culture that Kirby Smart has created at Georgia that guys, one, want to go play in the Senior Bowl because a lot of play, people don't want to go play in the Senior Bowl. But two, when they're down at the Senior Bowl, they're really maximizing the entire experience. And I think that every single Georgia player that was down there this week that participated likely saw their stock rise in terms of the minds of the NFL draft scouts. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on the biggest thing was the fact that you saw so many different Georgia players stand out and, and seem to maximize the week. Um, I think that that has to say a lot for the program and just the way they go about their business. And I think, you know, when we look ahead the next few years, I think you're going to kind of see a thing like we sometimes see, with the draft where it's like when you get later on, you're like, hey, let's take a Georgia guy. So, you know, when it comes to the senior bowl, maybe they're looking for help at a few different positions. The way these guys took care of their business and handled it, they may say, hey, we need another running back. Well, let's get the Georgia guy. You know, we haven't added him or, you know, whatever different position. I also wanted to make sure, you know, you talked about, to me, Tyke um, really, really helped his cause. You know, I think he's a really talented guy. I was super impressed during the season with his tackling and, you know, to have three pass breakups in that game, that was really impressive. But also I think Marcus did a lot to help his cause. I think the way that he performed during practice, um, the way, you know, he had a really nice touchdown catch in that game. I don't know how high he'll go, um, but I think that helped his cause, especially too uh, with the opportunity for him to play on special teams, which is going to be, uh, you know, so crucial for some of these guys when it comes to getting to the league and sticking around. Um, it's uh, definitely a, a very productive weekend. I saw one of the latest mock drafts, I think it was from ESPN, has five Georgia players in the first two rounds. I mean, uh, I don't know if that was the case before. I would have to think that some of those players really, really helped their calls uh, with how they uh, handled the time down in Mobile. Totally agree. Take a quick break and then get into some of your questions.
chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire now streaming on Paramount Plus. Well, Ben, we talked about quarterback a few minutes ago, looking at the 2025 cycle, and we're going to get into one of those questions. Hooper G Dog asked, UGA is deciding which QB to go after in 2025. Which one do you think they choose? And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like it's Julian Lewis, Matt Zollers, Ryan Montgomery. Those are the top guys that uh, it seems like they are looking at. Uh, is that a fair read of the field? And uh, also, what do you think happens? How do you think this thing plays out when it comes to Georgia? Well, I definitely think that's the group that Georgia's looking at. I mean, I think those are the three quarterbacks that Georgia has risen to the top of their board. What I'm less sure on is what I think happens i mean i think that there's a lot that needs to be figured out in february to determine who they're prioritizing why they're prioritizing them when they're prioritizing them how they're communicating it all like that is february the dead period is going to be used i think for georgia to internalize all of that and then relay that to their respective targets that said i think in terms of what i think georgia will do I think Julian Lewis is the one that Georgia is waiting to hear a no from before they move forward with anybody else. I mean, he's obviously still committed to Southern Cal, but he's been on two Georgia visits in the fall and was at the junior day. He spent a lot of time with Kirby Smart. Like I said already, I think the pro-style offense conversations that he's had with Mike Bobo have resonated maybe more with Julian Lewis, especially now than they have with him in the past, but really more with this recruiting cycle than they have in past recruiting cycles, just positions across the board. I think that they've improved their messaging. They've had a couple of team meetings during these junior days that I think have hit home a little bit more what the offense brings and why it's a valuable, you know, why it's valuable to come to Georgia to play in that offense. So I think that that really hit home with Julian Lewis this past weekend. And I think you wait for Julian Lewis to tell you no. Now I think where that gets a little bit difficult is Ryan Montgomery would like to make a decision in March if he can. Matt Zollers would like to make a decision in March or April if he can. And I think that they're probably willing to wait a little bit to hear what George's feedback is coming out of all of these visits. But I don't think they're willing to wait, you know, into the summer, past official visits and things like that. So I think a lot of this is going to be dependent on what is Julian Lewis's plans. And if Julian Lewis is making a decision you know, in February or March or maybe even April, that might give you enough time to figure it out if he sticks with Southern Cal or he flips to, say, LSU or Alabama or one of the many other schools that he's still in consideration for. You know, if he flips, if he does that, then you can maybe still have time to not necessarily circle back around on Matt Zollers and Ryan Montgomery, but, you know, really push for the commitment from them at that point. So it's, it's an interesting position and that's just the nature of quarterback recruiting when you're only really planning to take one. Now Georgia could theoretically take two. We've talked a bunch about right now, Georgia's under quota at the quarterback position and they tried to take a transfer that would have been a 20, a de facto 2023 quarterback in Jaden Mayava. That didn't work out. Carson Beck's going to be gone after the 2024 season. And even if you take one quarterback, you're still only going to have three. So whether that is, 
a 2024 quarterback or a 22 2025 quarterbacks whether that's a transfer quarterback after the spring but again that gets a little bit dicey too because what is if you take a transfer quarterback after the spring does that deter some of the 2025 quarterbacks from feeling like Georgia's as appealing as an option you just never really know so um to answer the question in a roundabout way I think they choose Julian Lewis. I think that's who they prioritize. Whether or not they end up landing him is a totally different story. And if they don't, that's when things become really, really interesting in terms of how they navigated Ryan Montgomery and Matt Zollers throughout the process. I'm going to give a prediction, and this is just a shot in the dark because I think there's a lot of conversations left to be had and a lot of decisions to be made. I don't think Georgia winds up with Julian Lewis. I'm going to say Matt Zollers is who they wind up getting in this class. Do you want to give a prediction? I'm putting you on the spot. I'm going to, if I were to give a prediction right now, I would predict Julian Lewis just because as much as there's been a narrative at times around Georgia and quarterback recruiting, it's like you look, I mean, and I realize what just unfolded with Dylan Riola like less than two months ago. So I understand that, but it's like Georgia, I mean, look at, I mean, Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, Dylan Riola, now Julian Lewis, like Georgia flips quarterbacks. That's what Kirby Smart has done year after year. I mean, Justin dating back to Justin Fields. I mean, that's what Georgia does. They recruit until the end. It doesn't matter if you commit early to somewhere else. If Georgia thinks that you're the best player, they go after you. And more often than not, they're successful in signing you. I think that I would lean Julian Lewis right now. If it were not Julian Lewis, I actually am in agreement with you. I think it probably would be Matt Zollers. And I had a chance to talk to his high school coach yesterday, actually, at length about his game and what's special about him. And the big takeaway, and I'll have more on that, you know, I dogs 24-7 later this week, too. But my big takeaway from those conversations with his coach was you hear about people that, and I think Tom Brady, not to compare Matt Zollers to Tom Brady, uh, you know, by any means, but he people talk about Tom Brady as the type of guy. It's like he picks up a golf club, he picks up a basketball, he picks up a baseball, picks up a ping pong paddle. It doesn't matter. He's gonna beat you, and he's he's just gonna be fluid at whatever it is that he does. It sounds like Matt Zollers is kind of the same way. Like you know, his coach said, and obviously Mike Mike Bobo saw him play basketball and immediately wanted to offer him. His football tape speaks for itself. But he picks up a baseball, he picks up a frisbee. Like it doesn't matter what it is, he's going to look athletic doing it, and he's going to be successful. He's got a lot of self confidence, but just the physical tools are there in a way for him that just not everybody's blessed with. And so, if Georgia were to miss out on Julian Lewis, I think that they have two really really good options in Matt Zollers and Ryan Montgomery. Get to another question from Hooper, which I think has been on the front of many Georgia fans' minds. Which early enrollee is impressing the most? I'll start with what I've heard, Ben. To me, it seems like the name, the two names I've heard the most, both guys on defense, Justin Williams, it seems like he is really impressed. I don't know how much he's going to play because he's at the deepest position on this roster, but I think he is really showing why. Georgia coveted him and, and made such a push to get him. And then Ellis Robinson. And we heard about Ellis basically from the jump about how long he was, what he offers at that position. Uh, there's a lot, I think, to be excited about with those two guys. And Ellis is a guy that I'm fascinated to see how he goes through spring because there's an opportunity to start as a true freshman, you know, with Kamari Laster moving on. Uh, you've got Dalen Everett coming back. Who is going to fill that corner spot? I think Ellis is going to give those guys all they can handle and have a legit shot at winning that starting job. Uh, who has stood out to you? What names have you heard when it comes to these early enrollees and how they've hit the ground running in Athens? Well, I'll go to the other side of the ball just to 
you know, spice things up for us. But one, so I haven't actually seen him in person since he's gotten to campus, but I've heard from multiple people that Daniel Calhoun looks way slimmer than he did when he got into school. And you remember Kirby Smart way back in December mentioning at, at the podium on signing day, like, let's be real about our offensive line class. They've got a shot, but they got to get their bodies right. And it sounds like Daniel Calhoun has really taken that to heart and that he has made a note to try and get down to a better playing weight. Again, it's still early. A lot of these freshmen have not put on pads yet. They haven't had the opportunity to really practice with Georgia outside of doing some offseason workouts. So I think it's a little bit hard to say right there, especially with an offensive lineman. But the fact that he has come in and you know approached his strength and conditioning with the tenacity that he has, I think says a lot about you know the way that he's wired and how quickly he wants to get on the field as an offensive lineman at Georgia. The other name I'm going to say is maybe uh, the pander pick to an extent, but I think Ryan Puglisi, after the Dylan Riola situation unfolded the way that it did, I don't know that any program in the country would have you know, not blinked an eye the way that Georgia did when all of that unfolded. I think that there were a lot of people in the building that maybe felt that Ryan Puglisi was the guy from the beginning. And I think that they've been validated in that with everything that he's done so far since he's enrolled at Georgia. I mean, he, he had successful uh, bowl practices, even on some of the player, the, the real talk player podcasts and um, players lounge podcasts, they've talked about Ryan Puglisi. I mean, these are older defensive linemen. They don't need to be blowing smoke at a freshman quarterback when they don't need to. And, they seem to be really impressed with the arm talent and just kind of the moxie that he has. I think his wiring, you know, the way I sort of just talked about Matt Zoller's, I think that his wiring is very similar. Like Ryan Puglisi is just one of those guys, you ask him to do something athletic and competitive and he's going to do it better than you. That's just the way that he is. And I think that, um, you know, that's shown up early at Georgia. And again, it's good. When, when you've got a freshman that comes in with a bunch of other guys stacked in front of him and they are having as, you know, positive reviews as they're having it's a really good sign for the depth of the position and just you know what the future looks like in Athens yeah Puglisi I think was a must to add uh, with this question you know Jacob Hardy and Warren Brinson were just raving about him on that podcast as you mentioned and uh, I don't know if you're like this Ben but like I get called up sometimes in the jersey numbers and he's wearing 11 you know I'm thinking about Aaron Murray like when we watched him just in those brief viewing periods we got for the Orange Bowl I'm a believer just like in that alone, we, you know, forget all the buzz, you know, quarter, a Georgia quarterback in number 11, sign me up. I think he's got a really bright future. Well, I totally agree on the Jersey number side of things, not just at the quarterback position, just in general. So a word of the wise, if you're a, if you're someone that's going to end up at Georgia listening to this, just know, like, I know you don't always get to pick your number completely your freshman year, but like be mindful of the fact because you're probably more likely to make better plays your freshman year if you're wearing a number that's more suitable to your game. That's just sports science. Yeah, that's, it is. We believe in it over here at Dog Swing 4-7. Uh, I liked this question from Flood the Swamp. Do you think there's a name that fans might have forgotten that has a shot to emerge as a contributor this year? His example that he gave in the question was Chad Lindbergh, a guy that hadn't played a lot, but you know, perhaps could get in the mix at offensive tackle. Ben, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to go first on this? Because I've got a couple answers if you need to. Go ahead and give a couple answers. I'm curious to see what your answers are, and I'll, I'll spitball off that. So I kind of went, I kind of zagged to the Chad Lindbergh example. He's a veteran. He's been there for a long time. The two guys that came to mind for me are guys that are coming off of their true freshman seasons. 
Justin Rett, a defensive back that, you know, I had questions about when they signed him, but I heard some pretty good things over the course of his first year. You know, he didn't play a ton, but you look at the opportunity they have at star. He's a guy that I think initially they looked at as a potential star. I think he played more safety last year. Uh, I could see him getting the mix at star or that safety position that they're trying to fill. And then the other guy is Chris Pill, who he got a ton of buzz during bowl practice. And I think he's a guy that sort of got forgotten about. You know, I believe he had a foot injury during fall camp. You know, it kind of put him back. But uh, at some point this winter, I'll write a story. I had asked Kamari Laster about Chris Pill, and he had a lot of good things to say and pointed out that, you know, he was kind of coming from behind because of that injury. But I think he's a guy that, you know, we're circling guys like Ellis Robinson, like Daniel Harris, uh, as uh, Julian Humphrey as well, as the favorites to maybe start opposite Dalen Everett. I wouldn't count out Chris Pill. I think that he will make a really good uh, go of it. He will be in the mix as a, uh, you know, with a real opportunity uh, to maybe win that starting job. I'm going to go one on each side of the ball. So the first one for me, I'm going to actually give a nod to, he he called this out himself as the uh, Caleb Downs situation was unfolding. But Ja'Cory Thomas is a guy that I think came in with, a, I mean, Georgia's staff, I think felt really, really good about him coming in. I think that that was an eval that Georgia realized there might be some developmental needs there. But when he got there, that he could be really, really good. I think with the opportunity for there to be some more snaps, in the defensive backfield this year and Georgia trying to figure out who's going to fit in to what spots moving forward. I think Ja'Cory Thomas is someone that with a really good spring has a chance to, you know, be a contributor for Georgia next season. Um, the other one that I'm going to go with, this is going to be sort of off the wall. And this is one that I've just from seeing him during pregame and then having some conversation with folks, I don't know that he's going to be a 2024 contributor. I really don't. But I think that an offensive lineman that has a chance at Georgia that people just don't talk about is Jamal Merriweather. He's someone that has the size, the physical tools. Like when you sometimes, and I always encourage folks to do this. If you have the chance to go up to the hedges during pregame at the sort of corner gates and watch Georgia warm up before a Georgia game, I always encourage doing it because I think that you notice immediately who some of the guys are. Like you see, all right, this. He looks different, like Amarius Mims, Darnell Washington. Like, you don't need to see a ton of film to be like, holy smokes, these guys are just different. And Georgia's offensive lines and defensive lines across the board kind of just look like that. And Jamal Merriweather, someone who, to me, sort of lo he looks like a Georgia guy. Now, whether or not that translates to, because he's not someone that I see as like in the rotation right now heading into the 2024 season. So he's not someone that I expect to force his way into the rotation, but just in the spirit of, people whose names don't get mentioned that we sometimes forget about that I think still have an opportunity to make, you know, make waves at Georgia. He's definitely someone that's on my list. Now the, the danger of a question like this is we're about to go into a spring where there's a lot of names that we could have mentioned. You know, I could have mentioned a bunch of other people that could play safety or star that could beat out Ja'Cory Thomas. And I mentioned a bunch of other people that could play both tackle and guard that could beat out Jamal Merriweather and, we might be a few months away from them feeling like they want to play elsewhere too. So it's a fine line at the university of Georgia between, Hey, here's a name that we've forgotten about that we think can be a major contributor going forward. And, you know, here's a name that we've forgotten about that might be suiting up elsewhere in the next season. I really like both your picks. Ja'Cory Thomas, you know, I remember two years ago talking to Will Muschamp when they were going to for the national title game about him. And 
he pointed out he did not play a lot of safety in high school. And imagine going from that to playing for two of the, the top DB coaches in the country and Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp. Like, there was going to be a learning curve. So I think that's a good choice. And Jamal Merriweather, too, I would encourage people, if you want to know more about him, go back. This has been – you know, maybe about a year or so now, maybe six months. I did a story about him, talked to his high school coach, who I believe was Warren Brinson's offensive line coach when they were at Brunswick. They went to the same high school. A lot to like about Jamal Merriweather. And I wanted to get to – someone said, what about Janell Aguero? I think he's a little too obvious for this question because I think he's – you know, he was my pick to be the starting star going into this year. So us not including him or anyone else, like, hey, why didn't you say this guy? You know, we're kind of going off the beaten path. I think a guy like Janelle Aguero, uh, I was really impressed with him. He didn't play a ton last year, uh, but I think he has a very good shot at uh, replacing Tyke Smith being that starting star this year. One more question, and uh, it's from me. I, I thought it would be interesting to see what uh, you thought on this one. we got a little over a month until spring practice starts. What storyline are you interested in seeing play out, whether it's you know, a position battle, if it's someone new coming in, uh, what storyline around this Georgia team intrigues you the most uh, as we continue and uh, prepare for the start of spring practice? This is one of those questions where I'll, 30 minutes from now, I'll probably be like, man, I wish I would have talked about this because there's a, there's a lot of really, a lot of intrigue going into the spring. But for me, it's probably with all the wide receivers that Georgia brought in in the transfer portal, it's what does the rotation look like? I mean, you know, you mentioned Marcus Rosemey Jack saying you mentioned when we were talking senior bowl, you mentioned we mentioned Lad McConkey when we were talking senior bowl. Like there's a lot of productivity. And I mean, Brock Bowers, obviously, there's a lot of productivity in the passing game that's no longer at Georgia. And so bringing in Colby Young, bringing in London Humphreys, bringing in Michael Jackson, the third. It shows that Georgia felt they needed to fill a little bit of a void. Uh, wide receiver, but it also just make, you know, they're also different. I mean, London Humphreys, Michael Jackson, the third Colby young, like none of them are the same type of receiver. And really none of them are much alike anybody that Georgia already had on campus. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Georgia rotates its wide receivers, who is maybe, you know, by the time the spring game comes around, who's maybe seen as the starters or the feature wide receivers. I think it'll be really interesting to see how the, you know, Dylan, I mean, obviously Dylan Bell is going to be a feature part of this offense, but the Dylan Bells, the, you know, Tyler, the, the, when you look at the younger guys, the Tyler Williams, the Anthony Evans of the world, like how do they stack up against this transfer group? And the reason why I think I'm so fascinated is one, obviously George is coming off of a really successful transfer receiver class with Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett. But two, I think Georgia will probably be, taking this approach going forward, at least it seems like, and I think how these transfer wide receivers perform in comparison to the guys that they recruited out of high school will probably dictate recruiting strategy to some extent moving forward, because, you know, let's say, you know, the Anthony Evans and the Dylan Bells of the world are just so much more ready or whatever that might be than some of these guys they brought in on transfer. It could tweak the approach on the flip side of that. If Colby young comes out and is the best wide receiver that Georgia has this season, well, 
that's probably going to dictate some things as well because all right if we if Georgia knows they can go to the transfer portal to find six foot five wide receivers to fill a void in one year they're going to continue doing that too so that's probably the position group I'm most fascinated by and it's probably partially the recruiting angle that I'm looking at it from just because it's the position group that I think is most affected by the transfer portal in Athens right now I think it's a good pick. I would stay on that side of the ball and instead look at running back because they've got, what, seven scholarship backs at this point and three mm -hmm. true freshmen. You go get Trevor Etienne, made a very conscious decision right there to make sure and think about it before I said his name, Trevor Etienne. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and you've got Andrew Paul and you got Branson Robinson coming back from injury. I'm just super fascinated with how the depth chart shakes out who contributes among these freshmen? Do any of them? Is there a breakout? I mean, I feel like there's so much to learn about this running back room, and that probably won't be determined in spring practice, but we'll probably get a better feel for it. Uh, just a lot of questions about running back, given the amount of depth they have there and a, you know, a number of different ways we could see it wind up playing out. Especially too. I mean, it's not just the roster either. It's to your point, the injury returning from injury. I mean, I don't think with Andrew Paul, I don't think we've seen the best version of Andrew Paul yet from a health standpoint. And then, you know, Branson Robinson's the, the name that everybody will be asking all spring long. What's his status? How does he feel? And, you know, Kirby Smart will probably be rolling his eyes by week two of spring practice with the questions that he'll be getting about Branson Robinson. But I think that's a great pick. I can assure you it will not take that long for Trevor to roll <laughs> Yeah, two time. weeks is way over, way over. Georgia men's basketball minute. Uh, the Bulldogs are in the middle of a three-game losing streak. Tough 72-62 to 62 loss to South Carolina. Before I go further, Ben, did we determine, was that a must-win or a can't-lose? It was voted on as a must-win. I think about 60% of the vote was that it was a must-win. So uh, didn't, didn't win the must-win, which is always tough. Yeah, not a good scene right now. They're fourteen and eight overall. Have fallen below five hundred in SEC play, four and five, and uh, they're walking into to me. What's going to really tell us what the rest of this month looks like for Georgia? They play at Mississippi State on Wednesday night, uh, nine p.m. Eastern time. Lord have mercy, I'm going to be drinking coffee and, and trying to keep my eyes open. Uh, but you're kind of in a situation where these teams are in two very similar spots. They've both lost three of their last four. Mississippi State took a whooping to Alabama, 99 to 67. I believe that was on Saturday. So, you know, you've got two teams that are kind of reeling at this point. It's going to be tough having to go to Starkville, uh, but this is going to be a good read of where this Georgia team is. Has this team quit? I don't think you saw that from South Carolina, um, but it's a big opportunity. And I think one at this point, Georgia desperately, desperately needs to get this win. Yeah, tough stretch, losing back-to-back -back home games like that. Got to find a way to steal a couple on the road going down the end of the schedule. I think at Mississippi State, you know, is probably the one that you feel like you've got to steal one on the road just looking at the schedule. Like, I think that's the one that you're most likely to steal one. If, if Georgia can steal one, I might take back that Saturday was a must-win. Uh, but, I, you know, it's tough because – I realize everybody wants to make the tournament, right? Like that's what every, that's the whole point of all of this is to make the tournament. But Georgia is not a roster yet that should be a tournament team per se. And I think the fact that they've hung around against 
Tennessee and that they've beaten South Carolina on the road and they fought back valiantly against Florida and Kentucky are signs of what the Mike White era is going to look like. I just think that when you when it comes down to it, when you're playing Alabama and they're just more athletic and more talented than you, it doesn't matter if you've got a 14-point halftime lead. When they turn it on, they turn it on. When you're playing a South Carolina team that you already beat on the road and they're probably pissed off and they've won every game since you beat them, like it doesn't matter that you're leading at halftime. They're probably going to give it to you in the second half. And so I know it's frustrating to watch. I've gotten a lot of texts, and I know how the junkyard goes during these games where people are frustrated about coaching and decision-making and turnovers and all these things that just happen in basketball games as part of the college basketball experience that I think Georgia fans are still sort of acclimating themselves to it all. I mean, we – not to not to be like the sitting on our high horse, I've already seen this happen before type of thing. But, I mean, I was covering Auburn – in the Bruce Pearl era in the early stages when they weren't making the tournament and things were tough. And I think he even made a comment last week that what Chris Beard has done at Ole Miss, he basically has created the culture that it took him to build at Auburn. It took him three years to do it at Auburn. It's taken Chris Beard six months to do it at Ole Miss. Different places have some of that ability to do it in different time periods. I think for Georgia, that three-year time frame is probably the fair time frame before we really start judging where things are going and you can already tell the culture of the building in Stegman Coliseum when you're in there for games is different this year than it's been for the last 15 years as far as I'm concerned and so yeah the team's not where it needs to be yet but I think that all the signs are pointing in the right direction that Georgia can become a type of tournament team that a lot of these other SEC programs have become. Yeah, their are signs uh, pointing in the right direction. They've definitely come a long way since last season, and everyone freaking out. Just remember, five-star Ace and Newell will be on the team next year, and I think that's really, to what you said, third year, I think, is where you can really kind of look and see where is this thing, what is the trajectory of this program by the time we get to year three? Oh, no. We'll wrap it up right there. I appreciate Ben for popping on. Thanks for everyone who watched and listened to this live, everyone who's listening to this after the fact. Make sure if you enjoy the podcast that you subscribe, follow, rate, leave a review, and let your friends know about us because we love getting more listeners uh, over here on the Junkyard Dogcast. Be sure to go to Dogs 24-7. Just got done running a 75% off sale if you missed out. Don't worry, there's a 60% off sale that is going on now. Be sure to take advantage of that before it ends. Also go to Dogs 24-7 on YouTube. Subscribe. You'll get a chance to watch all of these podcasts as well as uh, Mike White interviews, men's basketball interviews. And once we get into spring practice, you'll get the Kirby Smart press conferences and the player interviews there. Uh, make sure, again, to uh, send well wishes to Kip. I'm sure that he's resting up and he'll be ready to go the next time we record. So for Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care.